0: Welcome to The Greener Way Podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Welcome to The Greener Way Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Alambakis. In this episode, brought to you by First Sentier Investors, we'll be talking about engagements. Active owners and investors usually cite deep conversations with portfolio companies as a key weapon in the stewardship arsenal, but how do we know if they're successful? Joining us to discuss this point and more is Sudeep Hazra, a Director at First Sentier MUFG Sustainable Investment Institute. The Institute literally researched this very question. So Sudeep, let's get into it. First of all, can you give us a little bit of background. What is the first Sentier MUFG Sustainable Investment Institute?
1: So thank you Rachel, for for having me with you. Um, I've been in the sustainability space now for about fifteen years, and I've seen a, a good chunk of the ecosystem for investors. So I was attracted to this role because the Institute is quite an exciting and unique concept. It was set up a couple of years ago, and it came out of a, a joint venture between MUFG and First Centia Investors. So the idea is to have a, a dedicated sustainability research capability, and we provide thematic research and insights um, across you know, a, a number of different environmental, social, and corporate governance themes. One of the ways in which we're supported very well is that we have a dedicated academic advisory board with ac- academics across the, the world, really. So there we have quite a, a robust process and input into our different papers. And also, I mean, in terms of the reach of the Institute, we want it to be as broad as possible. Um, so certainly we interact a lot with our clients and asset owners, but we want it to be available to the entire um, ecosystem of investors so that includes for example you know investment advisors consultants but also regulators non and the media and the idea there is that we really want to have a an educational purpose as well more broadly um to promote sustainability and help with some of the understanding on the scenes you know that are well established but also some of the themes that are, are less well known also
0: Excellent. So now that we know that you've got the chops, both from the experience and from the the advisory board that you have on this institute, Sudeep, can you tell us a little bit more about this particular piece of research and how do you define what a successful engagement is?
1: So the background to this paper was that we felt obviously engagement is one of the central outcomes and really vehicles that investors use to identify a number of different things, including financial materiality but also um, in terms of establishing a relationship with the company and in ESG terms, actually establishing impact on an ongoing basis. But Mm -hmm. one thing we did find is that often the the views that were coming out in existing research, particularly academic research, were more centered on investors themselves rather than the corporates. So the objective of this Mm -hmm. paper was to really look at that slightly underviewed area of, well, what the corporates think will make engagements better and what will facilitate a better, free-flowing, longer conversation. So we partnered with PwC here, and the starting point was to look at um, a lot of the existing research and identify some of the trends and potentially some of the gaps. And after that, we came up with a survey of questions to ask uh, investors. Um, to really understand better what would be their preferences in order to come up with successful outcomes for uh, engagement as a whole. And in terms of the cohort, Mm. we took about 100 companies globally of different sizes, and that also included 10 C-suite interviews um, to get a little bit more detailed understanding on some of the questions.
0: What are some of the key considerations here, Sudeep, um, in terms of what? Consi- how do you define a successful engagement, and to wh- what are the key inputs to having a successful series of ongoing conversations between an investor and a portfolio company?
1: So, one thing we did acknowledge in this report is that no, there is no universally accepted definition of a successful engagement. <laughs> but what we did is. For us, we defined a successful engagement as being one which results in a meaningful change in corporate behavior, strategy, or policy. Um, so that's really the key. It's still a, a pretty open definition because engagements, as I said, can be so many things for so many different people. And even within one mm-hmm. firm, you may have slightly different focuses. Mm-hmm. So that was really you know, one of the outcomes.
0: I often joke with uh, here at FS Sustainability. Our unofficial motto is "FS Sustainability. It depends," because it's, as you say, it's so dependent on the investor and it's so dependent on the company. <laughs> sure, <yes. laughs> so, to what extent then does a successful engagement depend on the knowledge and the diligence of the investor um, versus the approachability and willingness of the investee company? How do we? How do you sort of define those halves of the equation?
1: Yeah. Sure. So. Um, I think, I mean, there could be some cases where engagement doesn't actually result in the change that was um, established and expected, but still shareholders mm-hmm. and even the company might view it to be a success. And that could be for a number of reasons, i.e. a better relationship was established or indeed it may have been the case that the actual initial outcome that was proposed was found to be maybe not the best outcome of a Certain change in time, so really, Mm -hmm. I guess one of the the key things there is um, helpful sharing of information where both parties are very active and there's a constructive dialogue. And in in some cases, um, we may see that shareholders achieve a kind of outcome for their engagement that they didn't always expect, but they still view that uh, as being positive, irrespective of whether they have actually put that as an initial outcome. that was uh, looking to be attained.
0: So then, as you've done this research then, how do your colleagues at FSI then optimize both halves of this converse, of this equation to maximize outcomes, essentially return for investors?
1: So one thing to note is we did show that companies themselves are very open to engagement. And in the dialogues mm-hmm. we've had so far with asset owners, uh, many have been surprised that um, what we found was actually that 96% companies that we interviewed found that shareholder engagements were a productive use of their time and resources. And the reason that's high, I think, is because companies are open to dialogue, but they want the dialogue um, to take place you know, in a constructive way. So typically, mm. um, some of the, the factors which you know, we, we think are very important for that kind of success would be that typically um, engagements have a objective and some kind of Mm -hmm. metrics discussed at the outset. And then also that Mm. there's a a sense of mutual understanding um, between the investor and the companies, and that there's a sense that trust is being built. That means also that any kind of confrontational measures are used wisely. Um, Mm. That isn't to say that an escalation process isn't there. And what I mean by Mm -hmm. that is, I think companies themselves will often appreciate some kind of um, escalation process, which will be clarified to say that if uh, an engagement doesn't reach an outcome, these are the potential actions. Another thing we also found was that having uh, capable and experienced individuals on the investor side leading the engagement also was highly appreciated by companies themselves and certainly made a difference actionable outcome Mm. and so on that it could also you know include the fact that direct engagement um, where the shareholder themselves or other kinds of asset class uh, investors were involved having that kind of direct contact was very highly appreciated so that meant Mm. also that one of the findings was that um, the recommendations of proxy advisors although valuable Companies wanted to see them as really an advice for investors rather than an instruction, i.e. really the the starting point of a dialogue rather than um, an end outcome in itself. Mm. And also um, face-to-face engagement, which were private, were also highly um, prized rather than Mm -hmm. having intermediaries or just written letters uh,
0: I think that's that's a really interesting point there, Sudeep, and something that you know we track here at FS sustainability, that the the utility of a letter campaign is is fairly limited in terms of that deep, ongoing uh, dialogue that you talk about. so it's it's interesting that the the report would highlight that as well, yeah. So another thing that I found in the report, Sadeep, um was that obviously you did track that um esG related engagements are on the rise. Considering that ESG is becoming more regulated, uh, both from the perspective of you know laws around the world as well as the fear of greenwashing, um, how does this affect ESG-related engagements?
1: I think investors are clearly having to respond to a lot of new regulation, and one of the outcomes there is that engagement actually becomes quite a useful tool in producing um, some of the results that are needed for that regulation. So typically, one of the key issues. That investors would face is a lack of data so often an end of engagement will be transparency and producing Mm. um, some of that data itself but clearly i mean there are still you know some challenges and both investors and issuers are still grappling with some of those questions around the regulation and the kind of um, results that are required there
0: and so as a result does this lead to more nuanced conversations does it lead to maybe recalibrating either the timeline for the asks or um the requests that investors put to in, to companies themselves
1: so i think w- one of the changes here is that the the demonstrated value of engagements can sometimes be a little bit more aligned with regulatory outcomes and i think sometimes okay shareholders will be looking to to make that clearer at the outset of an engagement. However, I think often some of the regulatory outcomes are really um, part of an existing set of questions that investors have had for a long time. So it's not necessarily something completely new when we do have a, a regulatory need to engage on some of the semantics.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um, Sadiq, I was so glad that we are going to have this conversation today because I'll be honest with you. um, The issue of how to define a successful engagement, um, how investors react or escalate with unsuccessful engagements is something that I think a lot about. And we spend a lot of time writing about it, FS Sustainability. What happens if engagements are unsuccessful? You referred uh, that the need for those clear escalation uh, steps as part of the process.
1: In the report, we identified unsuccessful engagements as having kind of at least one of the following four features. The first was a lack of demonstrated value, i.e. issuers themselves were often not clear what the, engagement, the ideal engagement outcome would be. Second of all, there was a perception that sometimes there was a lack of shareholder knowledge or understanding, i.e. Mm-hmm. That there wasn't a full appreciation of the relevance of the engagement question to the business model of the company. And that can Mm -hmm. be quite important because some engagement styles will typically take a blanket set of questions um, and Mm -hmm. propose them to a large number of companies. And that's certainly not our approach and that's not what we want to do. So one of the outcomes of our survey was certainly that shareholder knowledge and understanding of the issuer was needed um, for a successful engagement. Also, the resource question was very important. And what I mean by that is if a company felt that it didn't have enough resources to dedicate to an engagement, that was an obstacle. So typically, um, if a company didn't have the time, the expertise internally, or even the financial resources to dedicate, that was a problem. So typically, um, really making the resource usage from the issuer point of view as efficient as possible, particularly for smaller companies. Um, was a limit that uh, issuers wanted acknowledged. And then lastly, a confrontational engagement process was definitely something that you know we could imagine issuers were not necessarily comfortable with, and that came out in our survey as well. So typically, although activist investors, they do generate quite a lot of news flow, we were quite happy to find that in practice the activist element of engagements was actually fairly small. But still, there was a confirmation that it wasn't very highly appreciated by issuers.
0: That's interesting. And listen, we're all here for the news flow at FS Sustainability. Sometimes it's those activist engagements that let us know that there are things going on that we should cover.
1: (laughs) Indeed, for sure. sure.
0: But we do admit that we have a different... uh, Our our needs are not always aligned with sort of uh, the goals of investors when it comes to engagements, but we do acknowledge. (laughs) So based on the report's findings and what you discovered through this process of the research, Sudeep, um, how can investors better approach issuers to ensure that their engagements do lead to action?
1: In in terms of key factors that really increase the likelihood of a a company taking action in response to an engagement, we had five areas um, were frequently the most identified. The first one Mm. was having a a compelling case. Case for engagement, which was really tailor made to the company. And that's important because if it's tailor made, it's more likely to have some kind of benefit for the company itself. So Mm. the key element there was that shareholders should be able to effectively communicate that benefit in the customized context of the company itself. The second item was having a quality process. And by process, what issuers meant was really something um, that was face to face and had a direct. Connection between the issuer and the investor themselves. And typically, um, when it was felt that there was a quality process, the majority of engagement um, had actionable outcomes. Another thing, which is very interesting now, and maybe relates to some of the previous questions, and I mean also relates to the idea of um, a regulatory push, is the idea of a shareholder consensus. So typically, investee companies did welcome shareholder consensus. So they find collaborative proposals more compelling. Mm. And I think we can certainly find that there are um, certain themes which are quite central to the sustainability space where collaborative engagements have really gained a lot of traction. So Mm -hmm. typically, issuers do like that kind of um, setup because provided it has direct contact with investors, it really shows them clearly that there's a critical mass of interest in clearly defined and harmonized topics. So shareholder consensus was really one of the key outcomes um, where typically investee companies um, were more inclined to take action as a result. And then the fourth area was strong leadership. So the more knowledgeable the engagement leader, the more likely the company is to act. Um, so that might seem like a fairly straightforward outcome, But in the structure that investors propose resources for an engagement, it was really important to have some leadership and knowledgeable teams to be discussing with companies themselves. And then lastly, a very interesting one was the idea of the cost of inaction. So as well as, you know, let's say um, the carrot, there was also the stick element where Investing companies were actually interested in understanding, well, what happens if we don't act? So where investors were putting their case for saying that there was a high cost of inaction on some of the themes, and I think we've seen that a lot on the environmental side, um, Mm. inaction was really one of the areas where potentially um, you you could start to see considerations of introducing or improving policies from um, issuers themselves. And where there was a a kind of a case where inaction would be detrimental to customers and even a wider stakeholder perception of the company, that was often uh, a key identified by companies to say that, yes, um, if we understand better the cost of inaction, we're more likely to act on an engagement.
0: I find all of these, this part of the analysis so fascinating, Sadiq. You know, I'll often, if I'm talking with asset owners or asset managers, to understand the ways in which particularly collaborative action is a useful tool and where occasionally um, a singular engagement by a single asset owner, where where that decision comes down strategically, where they feel the greater um, utility is, is always such an interesting part of understanding how an engagement flow works. Yes, for sure. So, alternatively, we've done the do's, Sudeep. How about the don'ts? Uh, what should investors avoid doing if they're looking to approach a company with a particular engagement on an environmental, social, or a corporate governance issue?
1: So, I mean, some of the, the key factors that would un- undermine engagement success would include you know, a lack of demonstrated value. So, what, what an mm-hmm. issue means by a lack of demonstrated value is that where a company isn't acting, it's often that they just don't perceive that the costs of the proposed actions actually outweigh the benefits um, mm. and you know in our survey fifty three percent of companies actually said that that was one of the top reasons that they would not act is that they just didn't see um, the value uh, of some of the areas that shareholders were proposing to them secondly mm. also I mean another area which often undermined success was a lack of relevant knowledge, so this is really. Understanding the business model and the business case for engagement. And mm-hmm. 68% uh, of engagements that didn't lead to action were directly as a result of this perception that there was a lack of relevant knowledge by investors mm-hmm. as well. And then another couple of areas uh, a lack of company resources. So, you know, obviously there's a limitation. On how much resource a company can put into some of the changes that investors think are very needed. And that mm-hmm. was often identified as an ongoing factor. So, particularly um, having the financial resources and the time, but also sometimes internally the expertise. Because let's not forget that, I mean, some of the areas of engagement, particularly around environmental and social factors, do involve quite a lot of new technical expertise and potential operational changes on the company side. And then lastly, one of the key areas as well, which was perceived as a negative on engagement success was a confrontational process. So as a you know as an activist investor, you have a very different position. But typically, you know, that wasn't seen as a constructive position. However, Mm. there was a feeling that certain kinds of escalation can erode trust and also reduce the effectiveness of future engagements, particularly when they were public. Um, so that's quite an important area to keep in mind as well, that there was a preference for private engagement and also when there was an escalation process to keep it, you know, let's say, behind closed doors uh, in order to really ensure that trust was maximized.
0: So Sudeep, It sounds like you're clearly passionate about the subject of sustainable investment and ESG. How did you get into this particular role and what drives you to do this kind of research? Yes,
1: so I started in the um, sustainable investment research space about 15 years ago. And my start was actually um, in the data space. And that's quite important because I think um, an understanding of the data is as critical now as it's ever been and it's only going to mm. get more important so that's really you know uh, one of the central bits of thinking um that i've always had but then after you know some time with uh, a global data provider specializing on esg i worked on the sell side um, with a large bank which really um, allowed me to see some of the differing approaches of investors globally and i think mm-hmm. that's still the case where we really have uh, quite a wide variety Um, of interest, which are all very valid and important. And then, of course, most recently, um, in terms of understanding how asset managers work, I think we've seen a lot of evolving definitions of materiality, and certainly that's come a long way. So I do remember, you know, starting off in this space 15 years ago, where a lot of the discussions with issuers on materiality we're still focused um, you know, on things like charitable donations, philanthropy, or you know, even the number of sheets of paper that were recycled. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. the idea that you know, environmental, social and governance factors will have a material impact financially on a company, I think that's something that's still in evolution, but has certainly come a long way since the time I've been in the space.
0: I'll, I, I'll agree with you there, Sudeep. I, I don't read very many uh, research reports by companies anymore talking about uh, the measure of volunteer days that their employees did as being a key ESG target. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> We've been talking with Sudip Hazra. This episode was brought to you by First Incentive Investors. I'm Rachel Backis and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to The Greener Way Podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus.
2: The Greener Way Podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian financial service license and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, website, fssustainability.com.au.
0: podcast is not a financial promotion by First Sentier Investors, and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice, and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. First Sentier Investors communicates and conducts business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes sections of the podcast platform you use for more information on First Antir investors in your region.